welcome to more to come. PW Comic Wells weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. Recorded at the mothership, <laughs> and that would be the PW offices in New York City. I'm Calvin Reed, contributing editor at Publishers Weekly. Uh, check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com. And you can find us on mm, X at, at PW Comics World. <laughs> That's right. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. <laughs> I'm a podcast producer. And you can find us online on Tumblr, which so far hasn't been eaten by the <laughs> Borg, at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to more to come on the Apple Podcast app, Google Podcasts, and on Stitcher. And on Facebook, we're at facebook.com slash pwcomicsworld. And don't forget, you could also leave us a rating or a comment on any of these platforms because we love to hear from our listeners. All right. This week on More to Come, Image goes to SNS for the book trade. SNS goes to KKR. IDW Originals go boom. Marvel's malaise. James Gunn boost book sales and Flamecon 2023. All right. So I guess the other shoe <laughs> uh, were either dropped or was distributed. Um, uh, Image is taking care of its uh, direct market distribution, uh, leaving a diamond. And now it has left diamond yet again. Uh, well, I mean, it's left diamond for the second part. Yeah. I, it is the final shoe. Uh, now Marvel, DC, and Image have completely left uh, Diamond as their main distributor. Yeah. Uh, Marvel and Image, I believe, are still sub-distributed through Image, or through, through Diamond. Diamond. Marvel and Image mm-hmm. are still just sub-distributed through Diamond. Yes. Uh, leaving DC at uh, Lunar as the only one that's uh, completely not going through Diamond anymore. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Image went to SNS. Uh, they previously spent at Diamond Books, and um, I mean, nobody's surprised. I mean, Simon Schuster is, as ICV do pointed out, the biggest distributor of uh, graphic novels. Like, they have so many companies. Uh, they do Viz, they do Boom, they do mm-hmm. uh, a lot of small publishers, smaller publishers, and um, they seem to be quite uh, aggressive about keeping and getting this business. So, yep, there yeah, you go. I've actually there been, she goes. I've actually been kind of subscribed surprised at the you know particularly for um the uh sm- the size of some of these publishers are fairly small mm. um you know what, what was oni um uh, i believe oni also oni? goes through Simon Schuster yes you know i mean uh, so you know there was a, a, a my sometime beat uh retailer uh columnist Brandon Schatz had a a uh column about this he said that some, some companies had left Simon Schuster but they haven't uh they haven't really and there are a lot of smaller companies uh, there. And, I mean, he had a very interesting column kind of just talking about this from the retailer's point of view. But he also kind of pointed out that Diamond will survive this. Yeah. You know, he, like, he, I mean, I do think that everybody's <laughs> like, oh, Diamond won't survive. Are they done for? And I mean, he has a lot of reasons why hmm. they're they're going to hang in there. Just as a different kind of company, really. Well, they, you know, what they get, I guess they get a better margin on their mm-hmm. <laughs> wholesale if you're, if well, you're, they're the, uh, the the vendor of last resort uh, uh they don't seem to change any of their shipping costs uh and once again if you were if you would much prefer to just order all your stuff from diamond you can still do that That's- no you can't if it's 
Well, not DC, DC mm-hmm. but if you That's are right. if you're after Marvel or Image, uh, yeah, you can. Or many of the other right. uh, publishers that have uh, that are distributed to the book trade by book trade distributors. Well, he does say here that um, that uh, a lot of retailers were complaining about going to Lunar until they realized they were going to get better. Cheap, better margins because their shipping costs were lower. Yes. So you know there's a lot of evolution here. But uh, he also bought up a okay, Vizboom Oni and Mad Cave, up and comer, mm-hmm. uh, all distributed at Simon Schuster, uh, as well as Ahoy, Black Mass, TKO, yeah. and Z2. Um, but of course Simon Schuster had its own seismic news this week, Calvin. Yes. And if yes. you want to talk about that part. <laughs> Well, after having their acquisition, you know, uh, basically blocked by the courts, uh, by PRH, um, uh, they have now been acquired by, a, what, a private equity firm, KKR. Mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting, uh, you know, there was, a, there was a big price differential from what PRH was going to pay. It was like 1.6 billion, I think KKR got it for, and it was over 2 billion mm-hmm. that PRH was sad uh, to bidding. see people lose four hundred million dollars. Yeah, it's a sad loss. You know what? Yeah, yeah they, you know they can find it in the couches. At yeah, the PRH. Yeah, well, but it's, uh, it's theoretical four billion dollars. It's yeah. four billion dollars that was floated on a deal that could have possibly happened. No, nobody's four hundred billion dollars actually went anywhere. <laughs> but um, uh, but it's very interesting. I mean, obviously, the history of acquisitions by private equity firms is not a happy one. Uh, you know, they're known for basically, uh, taking companies that are struggling, milking them for every dime they can get out of them and leaving a, <laughs> a shell. Well, KKR has done this with, uh, they had a big mm. thing with Nabisco where right. they tried to flip it and they couldn't. Uh, and they also were instrumental. They weren't the sole owner, but they were certainly one of the keys in, uh, Toys R Us. And, right. You know, Toys R Us had to restructure and rather than restructure them, they took them to bankruptcy. So yeah, KKR is a big reason why there's no Toys R Us anymore. Now that said, there were some attempts at being optimistic about this yeah. and, a, and a couple of reasons. And one of them is that the book business, the publishing business is, you know, it's doing okay. It's not SNS was not a distressed company. No, it wasn't actually. Actually, they did well, as a lot of publishers obviously right. have done well over the pan- pandemic. They've been their, um, you know, their returns have been very good. Why do you uh, think it was targeted? Uh, it was targeted because it was owned by uh, what Paramount. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. they're, they're a big media company. They want to only focus on their core businesses. Um, right. You know. A, a lot of giant media companies, they want to get out of the book publishing business. Well, I mean, there's there's such a thing as diversifying too far. It's understandable if you want to have at least a core industry that you're focused well, on. Well, let me tell you. And publishers don't return the kind, don't, yeah, don't yeah. offer there, the kind of return kind of it, that business. the rest of the media yeah, business and offers. And it's a business that is actually doesn't dip too low. And uh, if you do it well, you could always go out and do. But but it doesn't soar too high. It's yes, it's, oh. it's you, But you know, let me yes, okay, just good to, point. Yeah, just to say what you point out what you just said. Uh, you know, my very first job a long time ago was for a trade magazine publisher, and they had just been acquired by Harcourt Brace Jovanovich, which had just been acquired by Simon and Schuster. And then after I was there for like two weeks, Simon and Schuster was acquired by Paramount. So, you know, they have this whole meeting is like, you know, now we're a big piece, you're a little tiny piece of a big giant company. And, you know, believe me, 
Paramount did not care about geriatric ophthalmology magazine. <laughs> um, and it really didn't affect anything. And then I left. But, uh, you know, like at this time, it was acquire, 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 broaden, you know, as horizontal, mm. uh, synergy, everything. You must have one of everything. Got to catch them all. Now it's like, we don't want this. We want to have the most narrow business we could possibly have unless it fits us. You know, guess what? 20 years will be sitting here and everybody will be buying publishers again. It's just, you know, the bean counters, consultants have to have something to do. So they have to advise against doing whatever everybody yeah. else is doing at the moment. Well, there is some of that. And also I think it's, it's uh, backlash and cycle in that there was sort of a lot of Zaibatsu style acquisition of just like a company that is both motors and grocery stores yes. um, <laughs> that, uh, you know, might have gone a little too far in that direction. And you can definitely swing too narrow. Too. I, I, I think there was something in antitrust law that actually encouraged uh buying outside of your field. Because mm. uh, there's a limit to how much you can yeah. buy up in your field Correct. without being yeah. the entire field, which would not be okay. Well, that's yeah. exactly what happened right. with Simon & Schuster and PRH, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and obviously, there's been a huge consolidation spree going on also. Uh, but, you know, the feds have stepped in. I, I What was it? There was, uh, what was it, like... Um, Verizon was going to acquire T-Mobile or something like that. It was it was one of uh, those big yeah. telecoms was going to buy the other, and it would left only three telecoms. And they stepped in and said, "No, yeah, two, four is enough." <laughs> but um, and they did the same with PRH. It was just you know they we've gone too far with consolidation. But I do think it'll be interesting. I mean, one of the one of the most interesting things about this particular acquisition by a private equity firm is that it's run by a publishing guy. And that is not something you see very often. Richard it's a good Sarno. sign. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it may be a good sign. <laughs> I, I mean, I think that you can still expect uh, yeah. some kind of attempt to make it more efficiency, well, yeah. more efficient, and uh, uh, and leaner. Yeah. Um, in this particular instance, though, I mean, there isn't. And I mean, if if PRH had of acquired SNS, there would have clearly been some sort of merging. Uh, back offices and the like. So they could right. have found some redundancies there. So in this instance, that isn't it. It's a, you know, a fairly well run and giant corporation. But what big publishers do is acquire smaller publishers. So I suspect you'll probably see that. But this, but Sarnoff is, has very deep Executive, senior executive publishing experience. He was a CFO at, at, at Bantam Dubley Dell, which was a large division under Random House. He eventually became, uh, I think, president of Random House. He was president of Random House Ventures, which was basically, I guess, a kind of a investment firm within Random House. Uh, he was the ch- uh, chair of the Association of American Publishers for at least a year. He was on the board of Bertelsmann, which owns the whole PRH right, deal. Right. So, um, it'll be very interesting to see. He understands publishing. I guess he understands the publishing is a really inefficient business. You have to sell a lot of books to hopefully a few of them hit. The, what's the old joke? You know, the, the accountant shows up and says, mm-hmm. Oh, here's your problem to the publisher. Get rid of all of these other books and just publish bestsellers. <laughs> <laughs> this is the oldest publishing joke in the world. Uh, so, um, so we shall see. I mean, there's only, you know, it, Publi- publishing is inefficient by its nature. Yeah. So, uh, 
but it's very interesting. We'll have to see where this goes from here. Um, but it, it's good that there's another big publishing firm that's still intact, still there competing. Yeah. Uh, and we still have a big five. And, and, and KKR is a venture capital company and it has done some dastardly Raider things, but it hasn't always. Yeah. It has just had some things that, you know, it built, you know, it, it flipped the normal way. <laughs> yeah. You know, cut, to, made it more profitable and sold in the normal way. So, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't, I, I'd say more to come on this. The jury yeah. is out. It's not a yeah. complete disaster. It's hard to see yeah. this particular leadership gutting the company. Yes, yes. Uh, and, um, you know, but this is a vital import to the comics industry since they do distribute so yeah. many, including the largest, uh, you know, direct market publisher, Viz. So, um, so it, it yeah. was very interesting because, I mean, the, I mean, Brand, Brandon Schatz's article at first mm-hmm. suggested that perhaps they were pushing out mm-hmm. smaller publishers and now that's not clear. No, it's, it's, I think Brandon was just saying they hadn't been in the catalog and, mm-hmm. cause I reached out to a couple of the publishers he named and they were like, we're still on we're time. Still so, so, um, um, so once again, what we're seeing, of course, is big distributors to the book trade really making sure they have a catalog of Comics publishers. Well, you know, I, as clients. you know, this is, well, the, our next story is about Marvel and, uh, uh, I'll say this, um, we have, well, actually, we, that's a couple stories down, but, uh, before we, we have some stuff about IDW, we have some stuff about Marvel, and I think it's pretty clear that we're in a slump right now. We're, you know, we're, the sales are, we're yeah. in just a sales, downturn and it's not a disaster downturn mm-hmm. it's not like sale it's not like when borders went out of business no. yeah when sales were just slashed by 50 percent you know it's it's incremental it's a little bit every mm-hmm. month two percent five percent six percent two percent i mean it's just you know a little mm-hmm. it's slipping they're slipping but they're still at a higher level and i do think as i'll get to we'll get to in our next few stories i just think this is the natural the i think natural your, your phase point, in my time in publishing I mean, you know, you're up three percent, you're down three percent. I mean, over the over year to year, yeah. You know, I mean, you don't see uh, spikes like we saw over the pandemic, right? Um, you know, we will see. I think that you know, and as as comics become a bigger part of the book publishing enterprise, um, I think perhaps we can see the the comics market our comics marketplace functioning in a similar fashion. Well, I just was before I came out here. I was actually having drinks with some publishing professionals, and uh, there was a uh, Australian editor named Sophie Splat, unlikely but true, and she's <laughs> over here to study American publishing because they want to do more graphic novel publishing in Australia. You know, so I mean, it's just it's one step forward, two steps back, two steps forward, one step back. Hey, it's just it's it welcome really welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. <laughs> well, one club. Mm-hmm. That, uh, seems to have be limiting its hours is IDW. So mm. this has really emerged over the last two weeks. It started with a few tweets as it normally does. Uh, just that people saying that their original titles had been, uh, they gotten the letter saying that IDW was not moving forward with them. So it was like two or three people. Uh, some of them were on Blue Sky, actually, which is a little bit more of a walled garden. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, I reached out to IEW. They had no comment, but I, I talked to plenty of people and, 
Uh, just the word is that IDW is uh, pulling back on their originals line. Now, you know, this launched. Makes sense. Uh, last year ago. So, well, now why, why do you say that, Kate, though? I mean, I'm not disagreeing, but what are your, what are your thoughts on why it makes sense? So there are about three reasons. One of them is originals is not what IDW's focus traditionally has been. And I think they went all in too fast, too hard, and there's a limit to how much money they have. And I mean, it's nice that they, you know, were trying original stuff, but it, it just, it felt like a mirage. It didn't, it, it didn't feel like a good business plan. Well, it's like I said, they, they did not have enough original material. And in the mm-hmm. Netflix era, that was a big detriment. So they launched nine new titles at once. It's way too much. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was flooding the yeah. market. And apparently they had a lot of projects in the works because there was a lot of people who were saying their projects had been. Yeah. Um, yeah it's not a bad idea to have original content. It's just. And isn't that. They didn't really promote it very well. Well, they didn't. And then, you know, in case you haven't been listening to the podcast, uh, they had a whole big layoff in April yes. where they yeah. laid off yes. 40% of their staff, delisted and reorganized yeah. under a brand new CEO who mm. had no knowledge of the publishing industry, fired their editor in chief. Yeah. Uh, that was their fourth CEO in three years. So, uh, wonderful. Yeah. Uh, and great fun. And also, isn't that what Top Shelf is for? Well, Top Shelf is fine. Uh, from yes. my understanding of talking to people, uh, you know, this was one of those stories where it's not like, you know, every once in a while a uh, story comes and, uh, you know, people can't talk to me fast enough about it. But uh, this time I did have uh, quite a few people reaching out. And um, so from what I could gather... Top shelf is just fine, right. and because yeah. they're quite successful. Right? Yes, but it's, it's with true. their originals line, yeah. right? But top shelf has a very specific flavor, which mm-hmm. is good that it has one, and it has a very specific profile, also good. But if IDW wants to create an original that doesn't fit under the top shelf brand, they have to put it somewhere else. And I think that was right. Right? Mm-hmm. They don't want people cramming a bunch of stuff that doesn't fit top shelf into top shelf right. and just yeah. well. I think what the, what Kate, what you were saying, and just to drill down on a little bit more about why it's made sense for them is that, uh, you know, the Netflix era is over and, uh, you know, there's a strike on. And if you're looking, there's just no land rush for IP right now. Now there will be again. Yes, I mean, it's like again. if you think that, you know, there's not going to be a need for new IP and new material for movies and TV shows, you know, in a few years or a year or six months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you have to be sustainable without that. You, you know, you, you even if the dream of your heart is that you will sell one of these to mm-hmm. Netflix. Right. You, you have to also build in the understanding that you might not into your business plan. Right. And if your business plan requires that somebody somewhere buys at least one of these, you're going to crash and burn. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Now, there's anecdotal evidence that the, uh, I'm also hearing that IDW also cut back on some of their uh, licensed projects as well. Hmm. And so, look, I'm not sure what's going on there. Yeah. Uh, but I want to, I do want to pass along one little tidbit here that's, that's nice. I did get an email. Um, so the first creator who called out uh, uh, originals, his book being canceled was a guy named Will Robeson. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, so he's taken, and he had drawn quite a bit of it. So he put a few pages up on Twitter. It looked pretty nice. And he's already taken it over to Zoop to crowdfund it. It's mm-hmm. called Between the Devil and the Deep Blue Sea. And uh, the camp, you know, they're building a campaign for it now. So that's nice. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, so some of these books are going to find homes. Some of them were well underway, uh, is what my understanding is. And um, so, uh, but I also have been told that they will be getting some payment for the work that was done and yeah, getting, good. The, getting the projects and all rights back and all the rights back. Yeah, now good. that in comics is, un- is an unheard <laughs> yeah. of deal. But so, I'm also the line also con- uh, 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 included some better known. Oh yes, creators, absolutely. Yeah. They? Some very well known. They don't want to alienate them, which is so, good. It's smart. Uh, can we expect to see those books? Well, oh, yeah. I mean, for instance, Scott Snyder has yeah. this trilogy coming out, mm. and it's I, gonna I, come out. I'm, it, that one is going to come out, so they're not going to piss off Scott Snyder. Um, you know, G. Willow Wilson. I mean, they already put out. And the Stephen Graham books. Jones book is out. Isn't that book is out. It? Yeah. I mean, that got a lot of press. That's the, uh, the Christopher Columbus. Yes, yeah. John Ridley apparently yes, has a so uh, book as he's well. He's a pretty big name. I believe yeah. his book came out. So, uh, yeah, I mean, look, we all called it the, when they launched originals. Uh, it, it, it's, you know, they launched too hard. They launched, well, they launched too hard. And also, uh, we'll see where IDW goes. I have a feeling this is not the last time we're going to see them. <laughs> no, it seems that this is a regular change. occurrence. Yes. Reorganization seems to be part of their business plan. For now, yeah. it's certainly is so uh much like issue number one again at marvel yes well switching over to marvel now kate do you read marvel comics or are you just dc well okay so listeners here's a little bit of deep facts <laughs> i just like most comic readers had one of the big two which was my on-ramp mm-hmm. and my on-ramp was dc which one has the warmest spot in my heart just in general if you're not looking at what's coming out at any moment? DC. But I always liked some Marvel books. I would say from about mm, 2000 on when they started getting out of their 90s doldrums. Mm. Um, where everything that wasn't X-Men was not doing great. Um, and you know, I've I've followed a lot of Marvel things. I, I definitely love various eras, but I have to say, I went to the comic store, Midtown Comics, in person for the first time in six months in person, um, something which would have been unheard of yeah. pre-pandemic because I went at least every month um, because I, I was having a stressful day at work and I had a lunch break. And I got there and I was really not feeling the Marvel section. Like, it really hit me that I was just like, what even is there? Like, I haven't heard of any of these. Nothing grabs me. Eh? And, like, that's not typical. Like, I'm someone who likes superheroes. Like, I mean, I like a variety of comics, but I like superheroes. Like, I'm open to new characters and new ideas and things. And I also like old standbys. But I just, like, nothing. I was just like, what is this? I don't care. Mm-hmm. Well... And when was this? How long ago was this? This week. Oh, this yeah, week. This week. <laughs> oh, well, wow. Right, right on time. Yeah. So was this before or after we set out our story list with the before? Mar- before. It was this Tuesday, actually. Wow. Well, yeah. by a complete coincidence, um, Kate's, uh, malaise, Kate's, Kate's, uh, sudden realization of the, the ennui she felt looking at a, uh, pile of Marvel comics. So last week, 
David Harper, we often quote him here, he had a big, long column at Sketch called Marvel might be in need of a fresh start. And it really goes on and on. Um, and um, it's just talking to retailers and talking to readers. And uh, the Marvel mo- fresh start of 2018 has devolved into a Marvel malaise in 2023. Uh, top tier creators like Al Ewing, Kieran Gillen, Ryan North, and Jed McKay are keeping the line from sinking, but it's about as rough as I've seen it. Uh, so it, yeah, it's, it's, you know, we've paid so much attention to DC and all the, you know, the perils yeah. of Pauline going on over there. That but it's we, still a lot more but, vital than Marvel is. It right is. Now. And we just really take Marvel for granted because they are so big and so successful. They're the number one publisher month on to month. And, and I think they take it for granted and for, too. And they take it for granted too. Yeah. And uh, all of a sudden, just exactly what Kate was doing, everybody suddenly sat up in bed and said, hey, wait a minute, Marvel's not really doing that great right now. Well, I mean, to be fair, that wasn't the only thought I had <laughs> yes. in the comic store. The other one was, wow, the shelves are getting thin. They're not be able to restock the way they used to. Mm-hmm. Ah, supply chains. Um yeah, but it, but yeah, Marvel was one of the things I did think about. I, I tried to see... Uh, just from David's piece, there was two essential elements uh, to just try to find it. Marvel is struggling with uh, having a connecting storyline that seems to be driving the line, which as we know, Marvel Universe has a kind of usually has some kind of overarching storyline. Uh, and then the relative freedom to try new things. Uh, the Marvel line lacks an identity. It's not just the nostalgia-oriented titles or MCU-influenced ones that are to blame. Most exist as an independent aisle in an archipelago of disconnected releases. So, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think... I don't think that's the problem. Mm. I think what I agree with him on is that a lot of the top tier creators a lot of the mid tier creators have fled marvel that there aren't a lot of there's nothing that has like a, a spark and excitement to it mm-hmm. there's no yeah. equivalent of of a squirrel girl or a uh hawkeye or yeah or hawkeye mm-hmm. or a good run of thunderbolts or or any of those ones where there you know something would jump out and bite you it it feels very samey yeah. And and that I will agree with him on. I don't think the answer is to have more tangled continuity worldwide plot lines. Yeah, well, very interesting think... because uh, in another article, it seems to be that the MCU is facing maybe a little fatigue well, over its complex. I mean, I would say interconnected. That, I universe. say even Bob Iger came out, the head of mm-hmm. Disney came out and said that. No, everybody knows the MCU is on the downward swing. So I had my own article. You know, I don't read. Marvel Comics. Uh, and I, I should, should. S- say as well. I mean, I'm yeah. not, uh, you know, I'm not the superhero comics reader yes. that I was. Many, I, many, I mean, many I years have ago. a subscription to Marvel Unlimited that cost me $60, so I should read it. And you know, look, I, I looked at the top books of the top 10 according to Comic Hub, which is the mm. only numbers we have. And, uh, you know, the, 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 some of the, the like, the, I'm just going to read the names of the books of the top 10 because I think it's interesting. We never talk about this. Amazing Spider-Man, written by Zeb Wells, art by Ed McGinnis. X-Men, written by Jerry Duggan, art by Joshua Kassara. Moon Knight, 
Moon Knight is the one I keep hearing about. It's the only Marvel comic that's got any buzz. Right. It's written by Jed McKay. Who it's really good. Who seems to be a rising star there. Venom by Torin Gronbeck and Ken Lashley. Actually, I do like Torin Gronbeck. On a Blade relaunch by Brian Hill and Elena Casagrande. So I just want to say, these are these are good creators. These are not... Yeah, it's not the problem. Yeah, not yeah that's the not creator. the problem. But the, it's it's that previously... Marvel didn't just have a few standouts by a few good creators. They did have a good, solid middle list. Mm-hmm. And it's just thinned out. And I don't, I'm not saying that to insult the creators they've got left. But I, I, I don't know. Chicken or the egg, the good titles of the good creators, I almost wonder if you know, when somebody brings them a proposal for a a book with, you know, some pre-existing characters or, you know, if they're entertaining uh, suggestions for a new run of this comic or that comic, if if it's just they're not accepting the, the well, exciting need, ones. Well, they need to have a spark. Now, I've heard a couple of different things internally. And um, I one that I've heard is that Marvel is really editorially driven more than ever. Mm. And you know what? That doesn't make for great lines of No. Comics. It just doesn't. It's not no. that bad. You know, aside from Mort Weisinger, who, you know, turned Jimmy Olsen into a turtle. Now, do you think that was a great run of comics? And we certainly laugh about it now, but was it really? <laughs> uh, so, you know. I mean, I'm such an old fogey. It's hard for me to know. I mean, honestly, you know, I, you know, I became a Marvel fan in the dim and distant, you know, ancient past. Uh, and, uh, when I look at, you know, Marvel comics, you know, I, I, you know, what I see is a completely transformed. I mean, mm-hmm. they're even the, you know, even the old standbys, the ones that I, you know, the Fantastic Four and Spider-Man and, uh, and Thor. Uh, I see these, I mean, Hulk is emperor on foreign planets. I mean, the, the, the Well, that fed, was a good story. That, that was the, a the good storyline. Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, so I'm, I, I'm a little bit of a, you know, a Rip Van Winkle well, kind well, of. Well, I mean, a lot of those things yeah. that you're talking about are wonderful storylines of the last 10 years, ten year, mm-hmm. but not the last two years. Yeah. Yeah. But I want to look, let me ask Kate and, you know, look. Let's be brutally honest. We've been doing this podcast for how long? Ten years? Yeah. Wow. Holy Since shit. Since 2011. Holy shit. So. 12, 12 years. years? Holy shit. Yeah. Sorry. Holy. Boop, the boop, end of 12. Boop, boop. So we're, we're yeah. at. Boop, boop, boop. 20. Yeah. Which is incredible. And so. The he, end of 2011. And, and, yeah. You know, Calvin and I are old, old coots. And, you know. And I'm the oldest coot. And that, Calvin you know. is the oldest coot. <laughs> and, you know, but Kate, I want to say, you know, uh, you've grown up to be a fine young woman. And I want to ask you, um, do you think you're aging out of superheroes? No, I don't think okay. I am because okay. there are plenty of superhero lines that I love. Okay. It's not a matter of aging out of superheroes. Um, I mean, some people do. Yes. And that's fine. Myself if you do. included. I want to just but be honest about that. That's fine. And some people mm-hmm. maybe never really were that into superheroes. Maybe they were into other kinds of comics that were tangential. Um, I'm, Let's put it this way. Some people have posited that there are different types of fans. <gasps> and there are some fans who are more character driven. 
and some can- fans who are more spectacle driven. Mm. And I would say that I'm a, a, a character driven fan. Like I don't, when you put 27 different characters on the cover and they're all fighting some giant unseen force, that doesn't make me say, ooh, that makes me go, ugh, you won't be able to write mm. all 27 of them. Well, mm. like, you know, if, if you give me a really good run of a superhero comic, that's the kind I think is really good. It's going to have really good character work mm-hmm. as well as a good story that fits that character. And I don't care if it's a Captain America book, if I don't enjoy it as a story, mm-hmm. I'll just go, well, whatever. I'll just read the ones I already like and uh, call me back when there's a better run. Mm-hmm. Like one of the things in that article was they were going, oh, well, you know, maybe Marvel's hope is some Jonathan Hickman storylines. And I almost like <laughs> passed out because I, okay, I, I don't like Jonathan Hickman's work. As a human being, I'm sure he's fine. Okay. Um, but he's, he's, I don't think he's the way out. I think many people are the way out. I think letting more writers and artists be a little more creative, be a little less editorial driven is the only way you're going to get a good book. Well, I agree. And I, to be fair, again, I think there's some really great people at Marvel. Like there's a great editorial staff there. Um, say Dan Buckley's very smart of executive. Everybody who works at Marvel, CB, Tom Brevoor, David Gabriel, yeah. very smart. Okay. Mm-hmm. We're not putting them down. No, I don't. So I, I understand, you know, we can sit here and spitball, but you know, if you're sitting in the room trying to solve these problems, but they have some problems, which I pointed out in my own piece today. You know, number one, they're part of Disney. They're part of the MCU is bigger than mm-hmm. everything. And uh, it's got to even, you know, I thought once Ike was gone, that would be an era of wondering. Of like, yeah, and, but all I meant was they did the ROM of, omnibus and the and the Micronauts it, omnibus. It hasn't been that long. I Publishing mean, cycles the, are longer. Has the triumphs of the M- MCU just sort of put people back on their heels that, that, that well, I think they that, don't quite know where well, to go because think, the MCU as it MCU gets more and more complex well, you know a lot of times I have some insights and I got to tell you you know Marvel is a very private place and yes. I don't mm-hmm. really know what mm-hmm. the problem is I'm telling you some little bits and pieces I've heard here and there uh, but I don't know but for sure just, just stands to reason that you know, being Marvel and with the MCU now in decline, it's got to be an issue. It's got to not, it's not great. It's not the, you know, it's not like it was wonderful times and now they're even better. It's that, that, that's a problem. The MCU is in decline and that's yeah. part. Well, well, the Marvel brand is in decline. Yeah. Well, but, you know, it's interesting because I mean, I always felt like what the MCU did really well in many ways was to actually take the model of the monthly comic book. And, and imported into a world of blockbuster movies that came out but you know, methodically. You're caught up in the uh, in 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 both in the plot as well as the characters. They took it too far, and they just seem to have hit a wall with it. And I'm wondering now if we've seen that the the comic book model writ ever larger than it could ever have been. Uh, we've kind of really kind of just hit a, a big creative cul-de-sac well you know while mm. literally while we are sitting here talking something just struck me what? you know and like i just said the mcu is the biggest thing okay everybody let's take iron man because the mcu launched with iron yeah. man it was a big risk to hire robert Downey jr as iron man obviously it was a bet that paid off big time in spades yep 
Uh, but guess what? That was 15 years ago. You know, yeah. Robert Downey Jr. has moved on. He does mm-hmm. not want to be Iron Man anymore. And also, you know, he's a human being. He ages. One of the great things about comics characters is that they are timeless. So, you know, really, like, yes, can you stream all of these movies all the time on Disney Plus, which has its own issues? Yes, you can. Um, but like, you know, what do you think Iron Man means? To the teenager of today. Yeah. To the well, 12-year-old of today. Well, I mean, I think part of it is that Iron Man doesn't, but a newer one about somebody who's not Iron Man might. Um, but I, but part of it is that they are to, is that they needed to move on from Iron Man. They held on to him too long. Now, I want to tell you, Calvin is sitting here wearing a Marvel t-shirt. <laughs> yes, yes, I am. It's a matter of fact. That's got Iron Man on it, but <laughs> no, it's I, in the I, 70s. I, I, yes, I, yes. I say this to someone who loves Iron Man. I say this is someone who ran an Iron Man live journal community. Holy crap. Yeah. Yes, I did. Uh, the first time I met two of my now closest friends in person was at the Iron Man movie where we were like, oh yeah, we're all on live journal together wow. talking about Iron Man. We should totally go see the Iron Man movie. Um, and it was great. But the thing is that You know, it, it should have, they should have been cycling characters out, not recasting, just cycling you out. You mean in the MCU, the in cinema. The MCU. In the MCU, not in the Marvel comics. No, let's, no, let's no, 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 cinema. Cinema. Yeah. But, but that, I mean, one thing that came up in these various articles and think pieces and so on that I wholeheartedly agree on, and I guess in this I'm disagreeing with Calvin, is that I think it was, and they were saying the same thing. It's like, yeah, they got a point. A little too much like the weekly comics. Maybe not enough like the graphic novels. Because in early MCU, and something that I think they need to go back to today, yes, you'd get the little stinger, and yes, you'd be like, oh yeah, this ties into this other thing. But each one would stand alone. Mm-hmm. You could walk mm-hmm. in, yes. you could see it, you could enjoy it, you could walk out, and you might want to see the next movie with this character, but it wouldn't matter if you didn't. Right. Right? You still have a complete chunk. Like, I gotta say, one of the reasons I'm not seeing the new Mission Impossible movie is it turns out it's only the first half of a movie, and I'd have to wait six months to find out what the heck happened. Oh, don't you want that exquisite tingle? No. I like the exquisite tingle. I don't like the exquisite I don't like the exquisite tingle because I don't trust them. Mm. Ooh. <laughs> Well, that's, you know, I mean, that's a, that's the Spider-Verse there, movie there, as well. There yeah. has to be a payoff. Yeah. Like, I think you, I, I mean, I think you make a great point. And I, I think with the Marvel movies. I like to postpone the payoff, but, uh, but anyway. But the thing is, it, it comes kind of almost perils of Pauline-like, mm. where it's just like, you never really have that feeling of full payoff and catharsis, because there's always another, and now tune in next week, like, it, and you know you've got to watch twenty-seven other movies to know who all these people are. Whereas when you do it like more like trades, when you do the movie equivalent of trades, the movie equivalent of a yeah. a good run of a Marvel um, no superhero. And you can make the case that the early ones were they like were that. like no, that. They were minute. like that. Hold on, now Kate, I know we've talked about this, but you have still not seen Infinity War and Endgame, right? And basically, I got put off before that because <laughs> okay. I. So she hasn't even seen the best. I can't part. be bothered. 
because Ooh. it cut out what I thought was the best part. What I liked about Marvel Cinematic movies and what I like about superhero movies in general. There's, okay, there's a part in a script, a part in a story arc called quote unquote fun and games. You know, the part where the characters are doing what they do. Right. As opposed to, uh, suddenly third act turning on each other for no good reason and hitting each other over the head. Well, the MCU Avengers sub portion skipped the, fun the whole game. fun and game second yeah. act and went straight from building the team to the team blows up with nothing in between. And I was like, eh. And then it was like, okay, they already kind of blew up at each other in this one two movie story. You mean arc. in Civil War? It will first, yeah. Well, there was the Civil War, and then before that, it, it was at no point. Were these people who wasn't were there a bit of that in Iron Man too? But that wasn't a team; that was an individual. Well, that was an individual movie, right? right. But but there was a little bit of it in Captain America three, which wasn't really Captain America well, three; it was I, an Avengers movie. But what I'm saying is that <laughs> is that that even I, I'm a hardcore comic book fan, but I was like, I am going. That's not the that's not my flavor. Well, it's I, uh, so I would so I'm like. Captain Marvel, tune me in. Uh, Shang-Chi, excellent. You know, like, but, and I love the first Avengers movies, but all those other team-up movies were exactly the kind of, but of Kate, overwrought. But Kate, they don't fight each other in, in, in Infinity War or Endgame. Well, in Infinity War and Endgame, it, it goes straight from, okay, so, so you, you haven't seen them. Yeah. But it also I, sets up the whole yeah. complex yeah. arrangements that we're living with right now. Yeah, yeah. but but where I'm going is is but yeah, did they, they fight each other and then it went to everybody goes into the world-ending terror and people die and then they don't and then everybody has temporary sad and it's just like there's never a fun in games part. And then. The result is secret invasion. Well, yeah. <laughs> look, I will say this as someone who's done a rewatch of the whole MCU a couple times. Um, that uh, you, you know what? I, I think Infinity War and Endgame are incredible. I think I'm, they're I'm, an incredible I'm, cinematic achievement. And you can't really judge the MCU unless you've actually seen them. So well, I do recommend sometime you just and I need to see them again. Them. I just recommend I've seen them four or yeah. five times. I never the pacing. There's so many fun and games in Endgame. You'd be shocked. Yeah, I know but, you see Endgame because yeah, I, I do agree. Fun and games. I do agree that I've become a little swamped in plot and characters and yeah. crossovers. Well, look, and here's the thing: trying to remember right. who what, was in the blip yeah, and was And you know what? Here's the thing: they started making crappy movies. Mm. Ant Man three is crappy. Guardians of the Galaxy is one of the, my favorite MCU movies. I thought it was super excellent. Okay, yeah, now, your I thought the may first vary. one was, but you, well, the second <laughs> one's not very good, but the third one is is really it's one of my favorites. Yes, okay? well, I, but I it also has one. animal torture. Yes, yeah. it does have animal torture. Can't so it's watch like it. We three, so well, we shouldn't good. watch it in that case. Anyway, the point to get back to Marvel Comics is, I think this discussion, the spirited discussion we just had, though, does point out. The problem. It's like you have a, it's like, it's like the platform at the end of every MCU movie that is disintegrating and falling from the sky. Mm. You have the movie universe, which is driving all the bus, buses at Marvel, and it's, it's stopping. 
it's turning into crap. So what are the comics going to do? Look, I'll tell you, they need to reinvigorate these characters. It's kind of up to them because yeah. Robert Downey Jr. is not going to yeah. come back as. Are we well, seeing that though? Are we no, seeing well, web? Are we seeing Marvel on Webtoon? Well, well, no. But what I will say is, I almost think that a character leaving the MCU is a boon to the comics yeah. because the whole time that some characters mostly in movies if you are a writer and you want to do something with that character your and your flavor of that character is even slightly different than the MCU's flavor which to be fair Marvel's original flavor of all these characters is different from the MCU's and that's fine right they're different iterations of the same character but if you want to write an iteration that's not exactly like the MCU's iteration of the character and the characters in the MCU at the moment they're probably not going to greenlight your book well uh, look let me give you a clearer idea of this um, and so two things you know in my own piece I just noticed I'm just going to read what I wrote because I'm just going to paraphrase it anyway uh yeah wow we've been on this for quite a while but uh it's a big it's a big topic it's a big topic mm-hmm. so uh what i uh one a larger problem that several people brought up when i discussed this topic with them in recent days is the inexorable ticking clock of demographics habitual periodical comics readers are old and getting yes. older younger readers have become accustomed to getting their comic stories in 200 page volumes i.e manga tankuban created by a single creator although often aided by an entire studio yeah. with a single viewpoint and a single ongoing story for a reasonable price between 10 and 15 dollars either that or reading them in bite-sized chunks on their phone for free or micropayments generic webtoons uh, the comics periodical is a format whose primary market is comics retailers. Complaints about these newfangled stories where whippersnappers that don't interest old-time readers <laughs> It's nothing but the inevitable dulling of the senses when exposed to the law of diminishing returns. So, you know, that's it. We have, yeah. a, you know, the, the entire direct market is predicated on a format that nobody wants anymore. Okay, that's a problem. Uh, true. Uh, so, but... Heed me on this. Here's a perfect example. In the 60s, the Batman TV show was a sensation. Of course, it created, you know, shame among comics people, but there's no denying that it set back comic books quite a while. I loved it. It was campy. Yeah. It had Julie Newmar. Yeah. I loved it, too. I liked the TV show, and I liked the comics. Mm-hmm. I mean, to yeah. me... But- but, but it, it was a dark time it was at DC. A, it was a dark time yeah. at DC. You know, there was, okay, there came the Neil Adams version of, of, of mm. Batman. But the, the popular imagination, there was this certain idea of what Batman was, okay? And then came a young man from Vermont named Frank Miller, and he changed everything with Dark Knight Returns. He reset the character of Batman, and, you know, that was 40 years ago, mm. almost, and we've never reset it. Okay, mm-hmm. so you know Frank set the tone for, a, and then came the Batman movie, which Batman really movies. But 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 I'm just saying, you know, they were definitely like, oh, we can do this dark gritty Batman, let's do it, you know. The, they were basically we can do Frank's Batman yes. on yes. the screen. So here's you know what I asked just you know a few minutes ago, like what do kids think of Iron Man? I mean, think mm-hmm. about it. You know, let's just say, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna make up my own scenario. What will really happen is unimaginable because I do think these characters are vital and important characters to our pop culture. Yeah. But, you know, at some point, they're going to give Iron Man to some kid who grew up writing manga 
and they are going to reinvent it in a way, and it'll be that 20-year period that you need past when the MCU started. Debuted, so, started yeah, I'm, just I'm thinking right about five years. But I will about say... About five years. And it'll uh, be like, holy shit, holy crap, it's a whole new take on Iron Man. Well, I mean, as an Iron Man fan, I think that will be good, because I'm going to say something controversial... I loved Iron Man comics, and I say loved in the past tense. You think? Because because Iron Man wait, was wait, not that big a deal. No, but that's I what I mean. Reading. When I was he a wasn't, kid, I, Iron Man okay. was not the big but, deal. No, he but was. But it's so, a let different me world now. No, no, but no, 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 but before the movies, mm-hmm. before yeah, the that's movies, what I'm talking about. But, but, Calvin, different era. My yeah, before oh, no, the movies is after your before the movies. I agree. No, I agree. Okay, so I'm marveling at it, so to speak. Before the movies. In the period between, say, 2000 and 2008, there were not a lot of Iron Man fans on the internet, but I was one of them. And the books were good. The movies came out, and movie Iron Man was excellent. But the Iron Man comics since then, since... Robert Downey Jr., I feel, have just not been up to the old standard. And I think it's because Robert Downey Jr. overshadowed the comics with how good his take was. And so it stymied the creators on it. So my hope is that, I mean, I I say this as someone who loved his take on the character, no questions asked. Um... But yeah, if in five years, you know, that critical 20 years from the first Iron Man movie, um, there's a really good comic book take on Iron Man again, that would be excellent. Sign me up. Right? It doesn't need to be like the old Iron Man. No, it just needs to, I, but I'm just, but I'm saying. You could never be the old Iron well, Man. Well, I know, again. I just, I'm not disagreeing, but I'm saying that even I, a fan of the older ones, mm-hmm. says, hey, yeah, it's time to do something new because this is tired. Well, you know, if we could go back in time, and be, you know, 15 years old again, enjoying whatever it was we enjoyed when we were 15. That would be fantastic. But we can't do that. So No, but I'm yeah. not saying I even want to. Yeah. Well, my only point was that, that it's really to support both of you because these characters have been reimagined over time. And they are much interesting, more likely than they were when I was a kid. Yeah. I mean, I you know, there was a different hierarchy among the, the characters. Yes, yeah. the, the MCU we really now. overturned it because I was... It was a lonely time to be an Avengers fan in 2005, and that hierarchy can be overturned tomorrow. Somebody else may end up on top. It may We may be living in an X-Men era in five years. We may be living in a something we aren't even imagining era, and I'm mm-hmm. all for it. Yeah. But well, the time well, has come. Yeah, I have talked with young – you know, I had a great conversation with uh, the, the daughter of a, of, a, of a friend of mine, um, and she's uh, – what is, I think she's like a, she's a sophomore or junior in college. Uh, and she just, she's just like a walking demographic, you know. She liked Batman because she actually grew up looking at the Batman animated film. So she was very, she was into Batman, but she's really into reading comics on her phone, manga. I mean, it was just, it was fascinating to talk to her. And talk to her Listen, about what she loved to read. Whenever I meet the teenage friends, the teenager children of my friends, mm-hmm. they all read webtoons. Yes. I yeah. ask them, do you read what I say? Oh, I'm in comics. 
you know, they're not very interested in me. I say, oh, what comics do you read? They're all about webtoons. Yes. And when they find out that I know what webtoons are, they're really shocked. <laughs> very impressed. They're yes. shocked. And so, listen, obviously, we could talk about this for much longer because it seems to have touched a nerve in all of us. Um, and, you know, Marvel has got a problem and only a creative jolt. Now, uh, just super quick, I want to say that there's something rather curious did happen with Marvel the next week, which is that the last week, which is that Tom Brevoort, the longtime executive editor, who really is the architect of the Avengers and the Spider-Man, and he, you know, he's been there since the 80s. He's been mm. there forever. Uh, wrote in his newsletter, just, yo, we're, you know, Dan Buckley called me in his office and told me something I wasn't going to do, but he talked me into it like a snake oil salesman. And, uh, it seemed like, you know, Tom was doing this in a rather passive aggressive way to just be like, don't blame me. Yes, exactly. It and wasn't then everybody, my idea. And then everybody was like, is, is, is he replacing CB Sabolsky as editor in chief? So it all raged. And so then, uh, apparently they were like, you know, you need to, clean this up so he went on facebook and said oh look i it's just i'm taking over the x-men but not for a year and so uh and then he put that in his, so it just is a little curious it just i don't know it just seemed to me that it was like he was doing you know being very unhappy about this move and being very passive aggressive and it seemed to me that it's an acknowledgement that marvel has some creative issues mm. but just putting tom brevor in charge of the x-men isn't going to That's not going to be it. the answer. No. Not the answer. No. Not Especially if he doesn't want it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I and you, I think one of the other articles that were on our list today, where there was a whole talk about the imprints and how they had helped in the past. Mm-hmm. Yes, I mean, yes, yeah. Um, so let there be an imprint. You know, now yes. let there be experimentation. Yes. Now, is that possible in the corporate America where Disney is publicly traded? I yes. don't know. I don't see why not. I I mean, people do imprints all the yeah. time. Yeah. And publicly I mean, traded companies. In, yes. Yeah, yeah, and I mean in the book publishing industry, you launch it everywhere. All the time. All they, time. You shut them down, and you start them up. You start a new one. Well, I hope they and get. And it's a good way to kind I of focus what you're doing when you're in a massive company, so, and to to try to get some sense of connection to between uh, the the publishing crew and the fans. So just real fast, yeah, because we, need to we have went on a much longer than I thought we were on that Marvel thing, but I thought it was really yeah. great that we did. Uh, well, you know, just to give you the other side. Meanwhile, meanwhile, uh, over at DC, well, we've talked a lot about James Gunn and how he is, um, tweeting about DC comics. So he just tweeted the other day, like, oh, what a great comic, uh, the Hecateria is. And, uh, you know, immediately sold. uh, You should, you should all buy it. And then it went from, you know, the number 63 DC book to the number one DC book on Amazon. Oh, granted, that can mean it's but sold, even so. told 10 copies. But you know what? He, I mean, yeah. still he, driving sales. Right. It's still driving sales. And it's like, guess what? He was, this is something Marvel can't do. A, it was the dude in charge of their movies tweeting about it. He was promoting older material, mm. which Marvel barely keeps any of its good old stuff in print. Good luck. Okay, yeah, good luck with that. And, um, you know, he was sincere and authentic about it. And guess what? It sold books. So, uh, anyway, there is a way forward in these times of ours. And, uh, you know, James Gunn is the number one marketer for DC <laughs> there Thomas. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Keep tweeting, bro. Yeah. And, and I mean, this is <laughs> when, when we're, comp- let, let me just say, there, publishers have eras. Yeah. I have great faith that everything will change again and again in its season and Marvel and DC aren't going anywhere. Yeah. There we go. Right. There exactly. Go. So. 
But let's get in a, a little bit of talk, chat just, about FlameCon. Yes, Con. about FlameCon. Flame so that yes. was just last weekend. Uh, we all went. We didn't see each other there. I think we went at different times. And I brought some interviews, which yes. if you ch- yes. tune into last week's episode, tacked on to the end of Meg Lumpke's interview with comics creator Peter Rostovsky. Rostovsky. Um, I got my own in there. Uh, with Michael Dialinas, who's the artist on Wind, spelled with a Y. Uh, Isaac Goodhart, um, who's one of the artists on Christopher Chaos. Stephanie Williams, who's the writer on Nubia and the Amazons, as well as various other titles, as well as this wonderful little zine she was selling at the convention called Living Heroes, which is a... Living single inspired <laughs> Marvel superheroine fanzine. It's amazing. Uh, if you can get your hands on a copy, do it. Um, and Rachel Silver, Rachel Silverstein, uh, the writer of Renegade's Rule, um, you know, it was really great to see some of those mid list creators really shining with new stuff. And an enthusiastic audience. Yeah, I mean, it was, I got there late on Saturday, about four o'clock. I was there for a couple, maybe a couple of hours, just hanging out, you know, seeing who was there. New York City's uh, LGBTQ uh, comics and pop culture convention. I was there also. I got to the tail end of a really great panel, um, basically inside of the comics business and, uh, Camilla Zhang was on it, um, uh, John Morishima. Um, and I also got to talk and take some photos of Levi Hastings and Josh Trujillo, the authors mm. of Washington's Gay General. Mm. A really fascinating look at a gay, really the, the gay man that basically launched the American. Well, we're going to learn all about that next week. Yes, and we have okay. a we have a, interview a, a podcast interview yeah, with so them. No need to talk coming, about it now. Just but just to saw them on the floor. They were they had the book. Um, along with just a great, I mean, it's a great show in New York. It has a wonderful hometown feel. It really does. Yeah. Like just, if you are at all interested in comics that fit any part of the LGBT or Q, um, and you just really like comics, like come on down. They had everything and they had a range of levels of creator. Yeah. They went everything from, um, People who are just doing their little fanzines and their poster art to, you know, people who are, are inching toward the top of their careers. It was really great. I, I will say one thing that there were a lot, and I noticed this the last, there, this is always true of FlameCon, but I think I might have noticed it a little bit more this time that the, I would say the preponderance of exhibitors were mostly kind of makers types. You know, that, that made like, there was a lot of stickers. There's a lot, a lot of merch. Buttons. There was but, a lot of merch. There's a lot of that, merch. That, and they weren't necessarily comics. No, no, makers. it's all kinds of definitely stuff. illustrators, but yeah. not necessarily cartoonists. A, a lot of them are, that's how you start. Right. 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 If you're a canny marketer who doesn't have a book mm-hmm. and is a comics artist, but is just doing a web or whatever, but doesn't have like a zine or a book, like, what do you do that you can sell that someone who's never heard of you before will buy? Well, they'll buy your sticker. You know, what will they buy? Well, they'll buy that pin. Uh-huh. Like, no, these no, were well, canny yeah. people. Well, absolutely. And they, yeah. but I mean, you know, were comics a, people. There was a lot of, yeah. of stickers. One quick pins. shout out yeah. to Bill Roundy, 
the Bartoonist. He's a <laughs> what? Oh, he's a wonderful cartoonist. He has an ongoing series where he reviews uh, bars. He started in Brooklyn. He's got a new one out now. That's in, that's bars in Manhattan. They're wonderful uh, cartoon reviews of bars. Uh, if you, you find them on the internet. <laughs> he's a, he is a terrific cartoonist, and uh, um, uh, I love his strip. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not putting down the the contents. I mean, there was some really great, great stuff there. Oh, and, yeah, uh, yeah. Highly, highly recommend. And also, it's good programming. Yeah, yes, I yeah. just want to point out uh, they required people to wear masks. Yes, yes. And guess what? That's a very sensible yes. idea. Uh, people are still getting were. COVID. A lot of people are immunocompromised. And or... not just masks. They also re- required that you had proof of vaccination, right. which just... is when I found out that. Uh, New York no longer has a vaccination (laughs) app working. I found out when my vaccination app stopped working. Well, that should tell you a lot. The vaccination apps are gone, but COVID sure isn't. Yes, for sure. A lot of people I know have it right now. Uh, Yeah, me, um, I know some too. I've been back to taking tests again. I know, me too. I'm out of One of my coworkers is out with COVID right now. I mean, this is, uh, I gotta say, it's almost as, as much as it was during the height last summer. Anyway. Well, Flame Cotton, highly, highly, highly recommended. Yes, absolutely. So, Excellent convention. Uh, so, uh, all right. Well, I guess that's about it for this week. I think we talked that one out. and um, <laughs> As so, we should. As we should. So, uh, until next time, there will be more to come.